Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. It's good to be with you today. So grateful to uh, be able to spend this time. If you want to follow along uh, with the sermon notes, you can grab that there at the Bible app. If you hit that QR code and you'll be able to follow along with everything that I'm going to share with us today. Let me say a, a quick prayer of uh, commitment to the Lord, and then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people, and I pray now that you would speak through your word. Hide me behind your hand. Please get me out of the way so that we might hear together the call Yahweh, the voice of God, and that we might be transformed in the hearing of your word and the hearing of your voice. No matter where we are right now in our journey away from Jesus or toward Jesus or with Jesus, would you make yourself real to your people today, we ask. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, love. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series, Simple Money, Rich Life. And in the first week, we talked about an overarching theme about how to relieve ourselves of financial anxiety. And then we got into the four uh, uh, kind of laws or, or, or four-part formula of, of relieving ourselves fully from financial anxiety and experiencing financial flourishing. So we've talked about how to save all you can, and we've talked about how to earn all you can. And if you missed any of those messages, you can catch them on our YouTube channel. And today, we're going to transition from save all you can and earn all you can to give all you can. Give all you can. And when you think about giving, when you think about giving, what do you think is the one thing that all of us have in common? The one thing, no matter what we make or don't make, no matter how much or how little, we all have one thing in common, I believe, and that is that we want to know that it works. Here's what I mean by that. We want to know that the promises of Scripture and the words of God that have been spoken over those who are generous or who give out of what he's entrusted to them, we want to know it works. We want to know that bringing God our first and our best actually works. Now, we can try to make it something more noble. We can try to make it something deeper. We can try to dig down and and come up with another solution. But I believe at its root, we want to know that if, if, We obey the word of God, and if we bring God our first and our best, that it's actually going to work. I believe that. And that the blessings that he has spoken of will be true for us. Now, of course, if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, then I would not expect you to necessarily want to know that tithing works, but I think like many people, even if you are a Christian, you want to know that at least this isn't a scam. Right? I don't have no planes. So for those of us versed in church, however, for those of us versed in church, however, at the very least professing followers of Yeshua, if we can be honest with ourselves for just a moment, we want to know that it works. 
We want to know that, that if we entrust these things to God, that the principles and the promises of the scriptures are real. Here's my question for you, though. How can you know it works if you never test it? In fact, did you know that in the Bible, the only place that we are told to test God, this is in Malachi 3.10, the only place that we're told to test God is in our obedience to bring him our first and our best. Now, again, I'm talking to those who would say that they are Christians, that they are followers of Jesus. You know these things. And so the question that I have for all of us and for the church at large is if we know these things, then why, and I say this with all of the love I can convey in my heart, why is giving in the U.S. so abysmal? In fact, let's walk through some data. Three to five percent of Jesus' followers in the U.S. tithe, meaning give 10 percent, three to five percent. Seventy-five to 80 percent of Jesus' followers in the U.S. give just two percent of their income. The average giving amount per churchgoer is $17 a week. That's not even a one plate at a decent restaurant that we eat out at. Of families, and this was the one that was the most shocking for me in the next one, of families making $75,000 or more per year, only 1% of them give 10%. And people making $20,000 a year are eight times more likely to give than someone making an annual income of $75,000. So it seems that the amount that we make is not really the variable. And yet... Here's the beautiful thing that could be. In light of these statistics, here's the beautiful thing that could be. If the people of God, the people of God, and again, I'm only talking to the people of God, just tithe, not giving over and above, not offerings over and above your tithe, just tithe 10%, we would literally change the world. In fact, if every professing follower of Jesus tithed 10%, faith organizations would have an additional $139 billion annually. You know what we could do with that? You know what we could do with that? If every professing follower of Jesus tithed 10%, $25 billion could relieve global hunger and eliminate deaths from preventable diseases within five years. So for all the people who say, we got to do something, we got to do something, we got to do something, then let's do something. $15 billion, $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. Did you know that? Specifically in places where the majority of people live on less than a dollar a day. $12 billion could end illiteracy completely. No one would have to not know how to read. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work, right? And $100 to $110 billion would be left over for additional ministry expansion as well as reaching our friends and our neighbors who are not in relationship with God or his church. And listen, if you want to bring it a little closer to home, a little closer to home, and I do not mean this as an indictment but as a plea from the pastor who loves you, if just the renovation family, everybody who says they're part of this church gave 10%, they tithed 10% to the Lord through the church, we would be able to triple or quadruple our ministry capacity. So all the stuff that we want to do, the schools we want to reach, the neighborhoods we want to change, it all starts right here. We have so much untapped potential to heal the world, quite literally, quite literally, we can reweave what was unraveled by God's first disobedient children. The question is, why don't we? Why don't we? And I really believe the answer is more simple than, than maybe we would ever give credit to. 
I mean, we can come up with a bunch of different answers, but I believe that the simplest answer is we don't bring our first and our best because giving feels like a loss. I will take your murmur as agreement. Listen, I know talking about money is an uncomfortable subject, but it shouldn't be. Let's normalize talking about money because as long as it is the untouchable subject, then God can't touch it either. Okay. So we have incredible untapped potential, but, but giving feels like a loss. And whether we are in touch with those feelings or, or, or whether we're actually there in agreement to, to get to the root of it, I imagine if you did a quick inventory in your heart, just a quick inventory in your heart, you would find some residence here. That giving for many of us feels like a loss. We might feel like we're losing out on something that we want or something that we think we need. We might feel that we're losing out on that sense of security. This is me. I love opening up my checking account and seeing a certain amount of money in there. That's making me feel warm all over like a warm blanket. And the Lord's like, now if you would just depend on me, like, like that little book advance that you got, then you might begin to see the fullness of my blessings, right? Maybe we feel like we're losing out on control. Faced with the prospect of trusting God in everything in practice and not just in theory. But whatever it is, it feels like losing. In fact, giving to God, you might not see a return immediately, so it doesn't feel like you got anything back, which is really the lie of lack. But that's some of what we struggle with, right? That, that when we go to the store and give our money, we get our bags back right away, and the hundred or so dollars we spent, we know where it went. But with God... We're expecting an immediate return, and that's not how he works. And so giving feels like losing. And yet here's the thing. For someone who believes that their God will supply every need, for someone who believes that their God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, for someone who believes that their God is so generous back to generous people that they will have to press it down, shake it together, and see it run over, for people who believe that way, giving should not feel like a loss. Because we know we can't outgive God. In fact, uh, we, we share our sermons here. We do group kind of group sermon prep and things like that. And, and one of the sisters, Keosha, uh, who was sitting in and, and giving me some feedback on the sermon, she said this. She said, Pastor, we're so used to overdraft that we don't know how to live in overflow. That thing hit me square in the chest. Now, that's the word right there. And believe me, I can empathize. I'm not coming at you. I'm not coming at you. I can empathize. I remember vividly what it felt like when I felt like giving was a loss. In fact, uh, one time uh, I gave, feeling by prompt, prompted by God to do so, and then a few days later, I ungave. Yeah, that's right. Whoever just said, ooh, yeah. Listen, it's a shameful, it's a shameful story for me. It really is. But I keep hoping that if I'm transparent, we can actually have a culture of honesty in this church. Amen? 
So I ungave. I was at a conference. I was at a pastor's conference, and it was great, and it was life-giving, and it, and it was fulfilling. And at the end of the conference, the people who put it together came to stage, and they said, hey, for all you attendees out there, if you would consider in this moment to make an investment in this conference so that we can invite more people back next year and keep the ticket cost at a cost that most people can afford, we would appreciate it. And I said, oh, my God, I've been so blessed by this, and, and the Lord has moved in this. I'm going to sow a seed. And so I went in there, and I asked the Lord what I was supposed to give, and he gave me a number straight up. He gave me a number and I took out my checkbook. I know many of you don't know what that is. It's a piece of paper. It's the first crypto. Uh, took out my checkbook and I wrote down the number and I put the check in the offering and I rejoiced before the Lord. And a day and a half later, I woke up in the morning in a cold sweat and in a panic, worried that I wasn't going to have enough for the rest of the month. And so I called the bank and I put a stop on the check. And I felt so crushed. Because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew in that moment that I had disobeyed the Lord. I knew that. I knew that I had done the exact opposite of what he wanted me to do. As I said, I'm going to continue to be transparent so that hopefully together as a church we grow toward more honesty. Now, fast forward to today. I know I've told you all this before, and this is not a brag. This is a celebration, a testimony, as the older saints would say, that now in our lives, Brianna and I give somewhere between 18 and 20 percent, 17 and 20 percent, rather, of our income on an annual basis. And you may wonder to yourself, okay, well, when did that happen? And what changed? Well, about 10 years ago, I received this incredibly clear and simple revelation that I'm going to share with you today while I was in the scriptures. It became unavoidably clear to me that nothing I have is mine. That was a revelation I received from the word. Nothing I have is mine. I don't own anything, but guess what? I get to manage God's everything. We had that revelation. Now, maybe I'm slow. I've had several concussions. Maybe you got there years ago, and you already knew that, that this was the biblical law. But for me, it was an epiphany that I didn't realize until I was 32 years old, a few years into planting this church. I'd see myself as a manager of God's money rather than an owner of my money. And when I began to see myself as a manager of God's money rather than an owner of my money, then Brianna and I started to give big and give in faith, and we have experienced the abundant blessing of God. We could run it down to your checks that came out of nowhere, invitations that I shouldn't have had, doors that opened that I know I didn't belong there. And the preserving peace of God in every circumstance. We've been living in the fruit of that blessing and I believe, again, that this is a biblical law, that God's blessing follows good management of God's money. God's blessing follows good management of God's money. Listen, if you were making an investment in somebody who was supposed to invest your money, would you want to put it in the hands of somebody who's not trustworthy, who might just go out and spend it on some random thing on some random day? Of course not. You wouldn't entrust what God has entrusted to you to somebody who managed it poorly. Now, again, this is not an indictment, but for you to wrestle. If you wouldn't do it, if you wouldn't entrust resources to somebody who managed it poorly, why would, why would God? 
So a lot of what we're trying to see happen in our lives, the next level of our financial freedom is going to rest on this right here. In fact, there are four related principles in scriptures concerning money and possessions that are vital for us to understand and apply if we ever want to become what Paul calls a cheerful giver and if we ever want to experience a truly blessed life. And where we begin today is in Psalm 24. And what is revealed in Psalm 24 is the first principle that I want to share with you, the cosmic ownership principle. The cosmic ownership principle. The cosmic ownership principle. Where do we get that from? We get it from Psalm 24, 1 through 2. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord, for he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. What the psalmist is saying is that all created things, animate and inanimate, human and animal, material and immaterial, all of it belonged to God. All of it belongs to God. Why? Because he shapes it, he made it, and he sustains it. So it's his. Everything belongs to him. And given that every single thing in the known and unknown universe belongs to Yahweh, it would stand to reason then that what is in our hands and what is in our pockets and what is in our accounts and what is in our assets and, and, and what are in our properties and what are in all of the things that we possess, it is reasonable then to think that he owns that too. Now, if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus again, and I keep saying this because I want to make sure that everybody knows who we're talking to. If you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, then I don't expect you to believe this because you haven't submitted fully to the love and leadership of Jesus. But for those of us who say we have fu submitted fully to the love and leadership of Jesus, how could we believe anything else? God owns everything. And if God owns everything, guess what? I own nothing. And that is the cosmic ownership principle. In fact, in his book, The Treasure Principle, which you should write down and read one day, uh, Arthur Randy Alcorn shares a story about a local business owner who had the same epiphany about the cosmic ownership principle. Jerry Craven had a successful restaurant chain. He had two banks, a ranch and a farm. I don't know the difference between a ranch and a farm, but he had both. He had a ranch and a farm and several large real estate ventures. And at age 59, age 59, he started looking toward retirement. And as a part of that retirement, he wanted to build himself a nice, beautiful mansion on the lakeside. And then something in his heart changed. God moved him in a different direction. And when he was asked what changed in his attitude toward giving, here's what Jerry explained. He said it was realizing God's ownership. Once we understood that we were giving away God's money to do God's work, we discovered a peace and a joy we never had back when we thought it was our money. So it clicked for Jerry. It clicked for his wife. Everything they had in their possession actually belonged to God, which means that he gets to direct how it is used. In fact, in Haggai 2.80 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. You can't get more clear than that. Not just the possessions, not just the polar ends of the universe, not just you and every animal and every plant that ever existed, but he says, I also own the currency. And if you were to go and read this passage for yourself in the Old Testament, you might have to jump in your you know, table of contents to find Haggai. Uh, but if you were to go and read this for yourself, maybe you would find fascinating, as I did, 
that this is a promise of prosperity in this, pack, in this passage. But at the end of the passage, it is specifically pointed out that the prosperity that God intends to deliver to his people is distinctly tied to the people understanding that nothing actually belongs to them. It belongs to him. So if you want to prosper financially in a healthy and ethical way, then you have to accept and abide by the idea that nothing you have is yours. In fact, you can dig deeper into all of these concepts in a wonderful summer small group. There are going to be Simple Money Rich Life small groups this summer, and many people have already been blessed by it through the spring semester. In fact, summer groups semester kicks off on June 4th. It's going to run through July 15th. And every single person in this room and the ones who will be in here next week and the ones who are online right now, you need to be in a group. You need to be in a life-giving community. You cannot do it by yourself. You should not do it by yourself. You're not meant to do it by yourself. You need to be in a life-giving community, and maybe you'll find some lifelong friends. Right? So here's my pitch, and I'm going to get back on topic. Next Sunday, Pastor Sly and I are doing small group leader training directly after the 9 o'clock at 1015. It'll go till about 11, right when the second service starts. And that's going to be on May 14th and 21st, 14th and 21st. I know you aren't going to remember that, but it's in the Bible app. It's going to be on the website. We're going to be right over here, and I want you guys to come and get trained because we want to see 100% of people in small groups. You are supposed to be in a life-giving community, and we can help to equip you to lead other people toward life. There's my pitch. Number two. Knowing God owns everything leads us to a second principle, and that is the stewardship principle. The stewardship principle, okay? The stewardship principle tells us that we have, and I want you to remember this P word, the privilege. We have the privilege of managing the things that God has entrusted to us. We have the privilege of managing God's possessions. Being God's manager is a noble calling. It is a noble calling. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I made this money. I'm the one that got to punch that clock and go in every day and stack this bread. Well, I contend with you to reconcile that thinking with the very words of God himself. You may say to yourself, <laughs> it's a verse for everything, y'all. <laughs> it's a verse for everything. You may say to yourself, my power. And my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant. No, 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 no. God gives the power to gain wealth so that he can confirm the covenant he made with you to make provision for all that you need. God gives the ability to gain wealth. So that he can confirm the covenant that he made to have a people formed for himself from all people who would worship him with all of themselves. We don't make it on our own. God gives us the power to get money. So do you see how these things are building on one another? Let's make sure we're tracking. God owns it, right? God owns it. And then he gives us the power to get it. So he owns it. He gives us the power to get it, which reasonably means what? That God expects then good management of his stuff. In fact, if you want to go and read it for yourself later, Matthew 25, 14 through 29, this is a parable of the talents. And you can also find one like it, the parable of the minas. 
And if you go back and read that for yourself, and I hope you would, what you're going to find is that the only person that the master gets frustrated with is the one who did not manage well what was entrusted to them. It wasn't the amount being multiplied. It was the obedience to multiply. And frustration only went, ran in one direction. So hearing this, right, hearing this at minimum should cause one to ask the question, am I a good manager of God's stuff? Am I a good manager of God's stuff? Let me give you a couple things to think about in that, in that regard. A good manager manages assets for the owner's benefit, not for their own. If you had a financial manager that was managing your assets in a way that benefited them most and then you got what was left, you probably would not stay with that financial manager. So a good manager manages the assets for the benefit of the owner. A good manager has no sense of entitlement to the assets that they manage. They just see it as their job to find out what the owner wants done with the assets and then execute on his will. That's what a good manager does. And so the question we should be asking ourselves, are we good managers of God's stuff? The third principle that I want to share with you today, which connects to the previous two, is the heart principle. The heart principle. And the heart principle is simple. It's very simple. My heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. In fact, Martin Luther is quoted as saying this, show me where a man spends his time and money and I will show you his God. Our spending, our saving if we do it, our investments if we have them, our giving or the lack thereof reflects our hearts and our priorities. It reflects our hearts and our priorities. That's what it does. In fact, Jesus' own word said, for where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Now, again, we're going to try to normalize talking about money around here because Jesus did. Jesus talked about money more than he did life after death. 30, 13 of his 30 parables are about money and possessions. And I believe the reason why is because when he says that your hearts will follow where your money and your possessions go, Jesus is essentially saying, show me your bank account, show me your credit card statement, show me your receipts, and I will show you the priorities of your heart. If you want your giving to feel like gain and not loss, then you have to place the money that God has entrusted to you in a place where your heart will go to produce an immortal impact. And there is no greater place to place it than in the hands of the God who gave it to you. In fact, A.W. Tozer said this, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Where's your heart? Where has it followed? The final principle I want to share with you today is called the first fruits principle. The first fruits principle. First fruits principle. Okay? And the first fruits principle says this. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Okay? Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new. So we see an if-then relationship here. 
if you would honor the Lord with the first fruits of your harvest, then, then your barns and your vats will overflow. Now, do not get lost in the agricultural language here. What he's saying is if you bring God your first and your best, you will be blessed. This is out of the word. This is not prosperity mumbo jumbo, all right? That's not what I'm saying. We can't avoid the truth because somebody else spun it for a lie. If you bring God your first and your best, the Bible says you will be blessed. And this principle, this first fruits principle shows up in varying places in scripture. Why? I believe it shows up all over the place because it is most evident that what we believe about God shows up most in what we do with the stuff he's given us. What we actually believe, not what we say we believe about God, what we actually believe about God shows up most in how we manage the things that he has entrusted to us. When you give God your first and your best, guess what? You show that your deepest affection is him and intertwined in this personal and affectionate relational bond is unspeakable blessing for us. And so Solomon tells us, honor God with your first and your best. Honor means to hold him up, to hold him in high esteem, to regard him greatly, to show that you believe he's great, to show that you believe he's wonderful, to show how much you respect the work that he has done and is doing in and through your life. That's what it means to honor God. Show him that you esteem him by bringing your first and your best. And here's the reality. When we don't, when we don't, we're we're the ones that are injured, not God. You see, what God is inviting us to do is to put tithing at the top line of our budget because only then will we experience his overflowing blessing. And the reality is, listen, the reality is that we give God what's left if we give it all. Not, his, not our first and our best. And I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm, I'm telling you what the word says so that you can experience the abundant life that God has for you. And what we most often do is we give what's left and then we wonder why we're living with lack. But it's only the other side of our first and our best that we actually begin to experience the blessing of God. And when we determine to do that, when we determine to honor him by bringing our first and our best, guess what? In most instances, we'll find ourselves amid biblical math. Again, there's a verse for everything. Why do I call it biblical math? Because it doesn't make sense logically. It says one person gives freely yet gains more. So the implication that Solomon gives us from the scriptures is the more liberally you give, the more you're going to find that you have to give. But another withholds what is right only to become poor. What's the principle? A generous person will be enriched. Giving is not loss, it's gain. And rather than being depleted when we give to God through his church, the scriptures say that you'll actually gain more. Giving is gain. And when you give freely, meaning liberally and loosely and joyfully, then you only prosper more and more. That's the promise of the word of God. If you accept and follow these principles, you will be blessed. And giving will feel like gain and not loss. Now, again, I got to talk to my friends who may not yet be followers of Jesus. This is not a moment to put any pressure on you to do anything that you don't believe in. 
In fact, if you're a little suspicious of church and suspicious of church and money, I understand that today could have been a high hurdle, but I've still got to be responsible to say what is in the word of God. And I do understand that you may have it in your mind that people only give out of compulsion or out of guilt or out of pressure, but that is not what the scriptures teach and it is not how it's supposed to be. Giving is supposed to be a response, listen, a response to the generosity that God has already extended toward us. Why? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world, he what? Gave. <laughs> he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life and would not perish. So we give in response to what has already been first given. Because he gave to us before we gave him anything. Jesus came to earth and lived perfectly and he died tragically at the hands of the Roman government and religious leaders. But not because they took it from him, but because he gave his body. He said that. Nobody takes my life from me. I give it as a ransom. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. So what do we do? We respond to the generosity of Jesus. He gave his life so that you and I can receive forgiveness for rejecting God's love and leadership. He gave his life so that you, cannot, you and I can be healed from the hurt that other people have inflicted on us and from the hurt that we've inflicted on ourselves. He gave his life so that you and I can have abundant life now and eternal life forever. That is why Jesus died. And so anything, anything we ever give, hear me is in response to his generosity, not an effort to earn anything from him. So today, I hope you would accept Jesus' generous invitation to receive life and life abundantly with and for him, to experience his love, so that you don't have to leave this world one day. Listen, so that you don't have to leave this world one day and be separated from him for all eternity. Family, God gave his first and his best in Jesus, period. And so we do what? We give our first and our best in response. In fact, in light of God's generosity and the four principles we learned today, I want to invite you to take a big step. So we close our time. I want to invite you to take a big step. Join the 90-day tithe challenge. Join the 90-day tithe challenge. Okay? Yeah, go ahead and throw that thing up. I'll put it back up here in a minute too. But if you want to get it now, grab it. Because I believe it's going to bless your life. I believe it's going to bless your life. If you're not tithing, if you're not tithing, which statistically roughly 90% of us are not tithing, Right? If you're not tithing, this is a great place to start. This is a great place to start with this three-month tithe challenge. And it's based on the promises of God in Malachi 3.10. It's essentially, it's essentially a money-back guarantee. In fact, I want to show you a little still of the website here. Uh, so if you go to renovationchurch.com forward slash tithe challenge, just one word, or you scan that QR code you did a moment ago, then you'll be taken to this website and it'll tell you everything on how to take the challenge, what the rules of engagement are for the challenge, and why you should participate in the challenge. All right, this is a great place 
to start. And I was going to kind of walk you through it, but you can see it. Go to the site, click take the challenge. It'll bring up a pop-up. You'll get to read everything in there. And then jump in and join this challenge. And let's see if we can experience the blessing of God in more ways than we, we can imagine over these few weeks. In fact, our commitment to you, our commitment to you is that if you join the 90-day tithe challenge and you don't experience the full blessing of God, go ahead and put that back up there for me, guys. Put that QR code back up there. If you don't experience the full blessing of God, then we are going to give you 100% of your tithe back. Yeah, that's right. I believe in this thing. I believe in this thing. And I believe that you are going to experience the blessing of God. In fact, I don't believe we're going to have to give back any tithes because God's laws work. In fact, there was a young woman who was innocent. Thank you for wherever that came from. I hope it spreads like a wildfire. There, there's a young woman who was in a Simple Money Rich Life small group this spring. And she decided to start tithing at the top of the small group, 11 weeks. And she started tithing $200 a month for a total of $2,200 over the course of the semester. And then she told her group the other day, she said, y'all will never believe this. I went to the mailbox and there in the mailbox was a check that I was not expecting from somewhere I did not expect it for just over $2,200, which is what I've invested in the Lord over these last 11 weeks. God's laws work. Amen. They work. And so I hope you would lean in and engage in this tithe challenge. I really do. I've already laid out biblically the benefits of participating in the challenge, but can I also share with you just some general benefits of consistently giving? Can I share that with you real quick? Evidence shows that consistent givers, even beyond finances, are blessed. I want you to fact check me on this. Google it, okay? Google it. I'm going to tell you right now. Number one, evidence shows that consistent givers are happier than those who do not give consistently. So you want more happiness in your life? Be more generous. Evidence shows that consistent givers suffer fewer illnesses and injuries than those who don't. Okay? Evidence shows that consistent givers live with a greater sense of purpose. And evidence shows that consistent givers live with less depression. Bob Lodish, my friend who wrote this book, Simple Money, Rich Life, says in there that it seems that being a consistent giver is somewhat of a miracle drug that they cannot even fully explain. So even beyond our own well-being, we have the opportunity here to see the law of God play out in our lives in such a way that if you join the tithe challenge and become a consistent giver, you will facilitate those far from God coming home to be with him. You will participate in the transformation of society. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, today I don't know if I can just jump right into the tithe challenge. I'm going to wait for the email that you guys are going to send out and I'm going to join it then. But today, I'm not quite ready. Well, here's what I would say. If you're not ready at this moment to join the tithe challenge, then I want to encourage you to do just one thing today. I want you to give today toward the next step in your giving journey. In fact, this giving journey tool is something that we started using uh, a few years ago because we really do see giving on a continuum. That as we grow in faith toward the faithfulness of Jesus, then we grow in generosity toward Jesus. And so an initial giver is asking the question, uh, generally, what do I do with my stuff? 
right? And then that transitions to what do I do with God's stuff at a, at a consistent level? And the hope is that over the lifetime of our serving Jesus, that we will become a surrendered giver. And the question then changes dramatically. We don't ask at all what we do with anything we have. We ask the Lord, what do we get to keep while you get the rest? This is how men like R.G. Letourneau and Rick Warren ended up giving away 90% of what they brought in only to see their lives more prosperous than they could have ever imagined. This is the invitation. And so today, I want to challenge you, invite you to trust God today for today and give toward the next step in your giving journey. Because here's the bottom line. If you don't choose to participate at all in any way, then the injury only goes one way. You're the one that will forfeit this truly blessed life. You will be left not able to make the impact in the world that God has meant you to make. You will be left owning your little, but you'll never get to manage God's much. But if you'll lean in on this challenge, then I think you'll see more than you ever imagined you could see. In fact, I have a great vision for our church that I hope you share that we would be a community that is overwhelmingly generous and overwhelmingly present such that the surrounding community cannot live without us. But it starts right here. To become the community I continue to envision, we have to move together. We have to move together from behaving like we own what we have to behaving like we're managing what God has entrusted. Amen? So right now, in this moment, Brianna, if you'll come up and play a little bit behind me, we're going to go to God together to bring our first and our best. And I promise you that if you begin to manage these things as though they are God's and not yours, it'll change everything. It's going to change everything for your life. It's going to change everything for your family. It's going to change everything for this church. It's going to change everything for the world. And so right now, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. I'm going to do two things. On my little screen here, I'm going to bring the tithe challenge back up. But we're going to go to God together to bring our first and our best. And and I don't think I need to make a long pitch here. I've just spent 35 minutes making the pitch, right? This is God's invitation to us to experience his blessing. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, You can go to the Church Center app. If you're a part of our church already, you know how to get in there, how to use it. And, And again, I challenge you for today. Give toward the next step in your giving journey. You can text any amount. You don't have to text the keyword. It's just any amount to 84321. uh, Or you can give cash or check in the back. And then, again, I'm going to continue to encourage you. I would love to see 100% of the people who are not currently tithing to join the Tithe Challenge and experience three months of God's incredible blessing. But before we do either, before we go to the tithe challenge or before we just go to give God our first and our best or both, right? You can do both. You can give toward the next stage in your giving journey today and you can make a commitment to 90 days of tithing to see the blessing of God. But before we do that, let's search our own hearts before the Lord and let's just take a minute to meditate. Every head bowed, every eye closed if you want or you can leave them up. But let's ask the Lord together what our next step is today.
having gone before the Lord in earnest, and I do believe you do because you're wonderful, beautiful, godly people. Let's take a moment now and bring him our first and our best in whatever manner that he has instructed you today. Let's go and give together. Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to bring our first and our best to you. Thank you for the abundance of mercy and grace that you continue to show each of us even when we don't fully trust you. You continue to lavish your mercy upon us. Father God, I pray that you would, that you would bring to overflowing every single person who stepped out on faith today to maybe tithe for the very first time, that you would bless them to overflowing, Lord God, and that they would see that your laws work. And Lord, I pray for those who consistently bring their first and their best, that you would continue, Lord God, to make the word true as you wrote in the Proverbs through your servant Solomon, that those who give freely gain more. For those who withhold what is right end up poor. Lord, we want to be in the gain more crowd. So help us to continue to give freely that we might experience your abundance. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody say it together, amen. Can we rejoice before the Lord for the privilege it is? Amen.